Uh, come on up. Holy cow. You guys, that's so nice of you. Um, I just would like it noted that women also don't mind skewering wild animals and playing paintball. Just a, a note, but that was really fun. And I also like dessert, so it works out really well. You guys, it's so good to be here with you. And um, I've seen some of you, if you've been here before, you see me on stage, but it's doing what Tim just did. And then I sit down, and it's like two minutes. And then now today is a little bit different. I, uh, I am the junior high pastor here, so typically I am communicating to 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. But don't worry, I won't talk to you like that. And I've been around a little bit longer than you might think, and, I, and I've been a communicator most of that time. So hopefully this will not be super painful for you, but I'm so glad to be up here. It's been a really amazing experience. It's definitely different from when um, I'm teaching junior hires or doing like the welcome and the greeting and stuff. I get a sweet um, microphone that goes behind my ear, like Britney Spears. <laughs> and um, I, have, I have bodyguards, so you cannot mess with me. And um, it's really great. And I actually pretend with the junior hires like I have bodyguards because we have this cool like safety radio thing and they're like doing stuff. I'm like, guys, I'm gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna come up here. I'm gonna, excuse me, can someone come up here and get the kid in the red shirt? And they're like, yeah, right. So anyways, but um, it's, I'm, this is like a really cool opportunity for me. I, uh, I love being in front of people and speaking and I realize that that is not super normal. So um, I'm excited about that, and, and I, um, I'm excited to, for just kind of this new, like, I don't know, new, we get a chance to have a different kind of relationship like this, so yay relationships. But as we sort of get to know each other a little bit and stuff, I just wanted you to maybe get to know a little bit more about me. Some of you know me very well, some of you just know me as a junior high pastor who does weird stuff, so maybe, um, maybe you know me, and maybe separately you know my husband, but what you're about to find out is like who he actually is and that we both actually go together. Because usually I'm like way up in the junior high room where everyone is right now with my leaders. And with my leaders, I say that and then I, I brush past it. But what I need to say is the best leadership team on the face of the planet is what I actually meant to say because they're amazing. This morning they were like, Hillary, don't worry, we got it all covered up here. I was like, oh, I'm not worried about you guys at all. I'm worried about myself and saying dumb stuff in front of a bunch of people. So you guys are fine. I will see you later. I'm going downstairs and someone pray for me. So, um, yeah, so I am married. This is my stud muffin husband. Look at how cute he is. He, um is the best, and so yeah, some of you have seen him around doing like elder things. I'm not saying he's old, I'm saying he's an elder at this church, <laughs> official. So sometimes I do tease him, he's a few years older than me. I'll go, hey, oh babe, do you remember dancing to this at like middle school dances? And he's like, no, I remember it from college. I was like, oh, okay. Um, so this is him, he and I, and this picture is actually really special to me because we had, um, so if you know a little bit more about our story, you know that we, have, we experienced, we've been married for almost seven years. 
So we're almost at like the newlywed phase, I guess, is like the official status, like seven years or something. I don't know. The magic disappears, whatever. So anyway, we're, we, we are going through this like seven years. For about the past five years, we have been going through a journey um, of infertility. And so we, uh, got, we were waiting to get, like, good pictures taken for a really long time. These were, like, our Christmas photos. You know how everyone gets Christmas photos. So we were like, no, we're going to wait until we have kids, and then we'll, you know, then we'll take the photos, and it'll be great because then we can start watching the kids grow over the years. And then it was like, oh, not this year. Okay, not this year either. Okay, not this year. So this year, this was taken in, like, November, we were like, we're doing it. Like, we're going to get a picture taken of our family. This is our family, so we're going to do it. And this is our family, everyone. And it was just kind of like this freeing experience to be like, these are our family pictures. And then a few months after that, oh, yeah, that's a baby, everybody, and it lives in here. It's like the best thing ever. This is so cool. This is, um, so I was, I did like a thing before. I was like, if you zoom in a little closer, this is what you would see. That's not true because that wasn't there when those pictures got taken. And this was only like a few weeks ago. But I just had to show you because look at how cute it is. <laughs> that is a nose. And it lives in here. <laughs> it's just so crazy to me. It's so cute. So anyways, I am just thrilled. And, um. This is our little baby right here. We, oh, we don't know the gender, and no, I don't care if that bothers you. <laughs> Everyone's like, why are you doing that to me? I'm like, I'm not doing anything to you. This is my thing. I don't know what's happening. But anyways, um, just if you want to leave it up there a little bit longer, you can just look at it and see how cute my baby is. So, um, yeah, so what's so funny is that we, as I continue to sort of tell a little bit more of my story and people start to get to know me a little bit more, what's so funny to me is that people will go, oh, you've been married for seven years? Wow, how old are you? And I'm like, how old are you? What in the world kind of question is that? Uh, but actually, I love when people ask me that question because it's always shocking because people are like, how old are you? And I'll say, oh, 32. And they're like, wow, I thought you were way younger. And I'm like, well, I'm not. So, like, there's this sort of thing where, like, people think that I'm so young. I'm very small. I get it. And I do, and I'm, like, weird. So people are like, oh, you're just, the, you're just so, whoa. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm 32, and oh, I don't know. So 32 years of that, I don't know. So it's kind of like this thing, though, where, like, I kind of enjoy being able to tell people because the way that people treat me after I say how old I am changes. So they're like, oh, honey, do you need something? And then they find out how old I am, and they're like, oh. And there's, like, this sort of change of, like, respect or, like, it's almost like my status changes a little bit which is so interesting because it makes me think about how we view people who are younger than us. And so um, as we're looking in this series, and we're in this series called Things I Wish Jesus Never Said, because let's be real, he said a lot of stuff that I wish he didn't say. Like we wish that he didn't say a lot of the things that he said. So we're looking at this, this sort of um, idea of this today. And maybe what he has to say about this difference between 
um, ages and what that actually means for us. But I want you to know that if you didn't think that I was the age that I am, you're not alone. Um, I, one of the greatest privileges of my job is that I get to spend time with 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. And I get to spend time with them on their turf, which is so fun. They come here, we have Sunday morning stuff, we have life groups in the middle of the week, we have events and stuff like that. But the best part, and where like the real stuff happens, is when we're hanging out with them outside of all of that. So we're like going to their games, we're inviting them to go to laser tag, we're playing paintball with them, even the girls. And so we're like kind of doing this like fun stuff and it's so great. And um, we also kind of do this thing too where we like invite them to our stuff. And so my um, said muffin husband, who you saw the picture of, he is a football coach at Dana Hills High School. And um, yes. That's right. That's right. Go Dolphins. Uh, spins up. I don't know. I don't know if that's how you do it, but I know it spins up. Is that how you do it? It doesn't matter. Okay, so we have, like, so every Friday in the fall, if anyone is looking for something to do, call me because you can come sit with me at a football game because that's what's happening in the McCullough house. So we are, so I'm going to games and part of what I get to do is like bring students with me because it's, it's fun. They're like, in, they, you can invite them into your life and they feel like they get to know you a little bit better and it's like they're important, right, if you bring them into your stuff. So I invited a few of my eighth grade girls to come with me to a game and we are spending some time on the sidelines uh, sort of outside of the little track area, and I'm standing with them, and a group of boys come up to them, and they knew him from another school or something, so the boys come up, and um, they're chatting with them, so I sort of step aside, because I'm not going to be that pastor that's like, oh, who's that? Like, oh, who are you talking to? Like, oh, what, do you like him? So I just kind of let it go. And so they're doing their thing, and they're connecting and whatever, and um, all of a sudden, one of the boys is done talking to them, and he sort of like walks over to me, and he goes, so, are you in eighth grade too? <laughs> and I was, I was like, huh. Like, it was just this moment where I'm like, what do I have to do? Do I have to cut my hair? Do I need to wear high heels all the time? Like, what is this going to take? And the girls are like dying. And then one of them goes, she's married. I was like, oh my gosh, this just keeps getting worse. So it's a thing. And then when he, and I said, once I said, oh, um, I don't want to make him feel bad. So I was like, oh no, my husband is a coach for Dana Hills High School. And he was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I was like, it's okay. But like this thing changes. This thing changes when people like, when there's like an assumed sort of status of a, at a certain level. And then the status sort of changes. And some of that hooks on to as we age. And I personally love being able to age a little bit more because then as, I, as people ask me how old I am, it's like more of a shock factor. And then, like, for now, that's how I feel. But um, so that's, like, it's, like, a fun thing because we, we sort of start to see each other differently as we sort of understand this status a little bit. So um, the thing that is the most, that, like, connects us the most with this idea of status or, like, you know, certain times of our lives that we connect with in a certain way, 
One of, the, one of the things that I hear over and over and over again as a middle school pastor is um, whenever I say that I work with middle schoolers, people go, oh, man, I'm so glad that's over. Or like, oh, you're going to have, this is my favorite, you're, you have a special place in heaven. And I'm like, I hope so. That's cool. Like, I don't know if that's going to do it, but that's fun. So like, but it's like this thing, like we identify that time of life to be this thing that we cannot wait to get through and we can't wait to get away from. So as we start to think of this idea, let's just play a game. I'm a youth pastor. We play games. So this is what we're going to do. Don't worry. It's not that hard. I'm going to start a sentence and you just finish it. So here we go. When I was a junior higher, I was awkward. What? Popular. Okay. Okay. All right. Everyone look back there. <laughs> what else? What was it? Stubborn. Confused. Stubborn. Annoying. Very attractive. That's the same guy who said he was popular, everybody. <laughs> Good for you. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Nerdy. Liar? Yeah. It's the time of life where you're the biggest liar. It's like a proven fact. Self-conscious, energetic, chubby, weirdo. Okay, so we have this, like, thing. We, and these are the things that I hear a lot. And we hear a lot about specifically junior hires, about those things. And it's like we sort of have this um, idea of wanting this. It's undesirable. It's all of the things that we deem sort of undesirable. And I was thinking about it, and I was talking to um, Jeff, who is our lead pastor here, and also my boss, which is, like, the best. He's a great leader. I was talking to him, and he goes, you know, identify with all the things that you felt in junior high. And I was like, I kind of liked junior high. Like, I wasn't that weird. I was popular, and I was good looking. <laughs> like that guy. We hung out together. <laughs> but it was like, I, I really was kind of thinking about that. And then I... Um, found this picture, and so that's me on the left, <laughs> uh, that was my favorite shirt, and I had sweet eyebrows, so I was some of those things, which was great, um, so, but it's kind of like this idea, too, that we talk about it as this undesirable thing, and the thing about all of those things that we talk about, we talk about that time, and we've moved past it, is that we talk about it like we have now officially excluded ourselves from that list of characteristics. That we are past it. We are not any of those things anymore. We actually have moved past all of those things and good riddance. And there's some tension when we start to think about the fact that maybe some of those things have, left, have stayed and they're left over. And so we struggle maybe with this idea that some of those things still define who we are. And so when we think about wanting to move past that, what if we're missing something? What if junior hires actually hold the key to being able to understand Jesus on a different level? What if, if we tapped into this inner junior hire, we were actually able to experience Jesus in a different way. 
we might actually have something to learn from them about what it means to better connect with the kingdom of God. So we have, we, we're, we're identifying this series. It's Jesus and all of the annoying stuff that he said about the way that we can, we can view things differently. But so as I'm like connecting you guys with this idea of your inner junior higher, you're totally hating me which I'm totally fine with, that's fine, you can hate me, that's good. But, because we're starting to like identify, if you, if you remember, when you started in junior high, that's when the idea of status became very apparent. That was when we started recognizing, and we don't know how, and we didn't know how it happened or why it was like that, but we knew that there was this sort of hierarchy of how everything worked and who people were and how important they were. So that's sort of when this idea of status starts to come up, because that's how our brains work. That's when we start to recognize some of those things. And so as, when we deal with these things, actually as adults too, it just starts to look a little bit different. So Jesus is traveling around, and he's, um, doing, he's teaching, and he's going around and sort of doing his thing where he flips everything upside down on its head as he is teaching about his kingdom, and this kingdom in which we, like, presently live. And so he is um, tra traveling with his disciples, which I always tell our junior hires, that just means it's his people, it's his peeps, his little posse. So he's traveling around with his peeps. And he's, we, we have heard this before. And so, and some of, some of us kind of toss around this, like, if you've been in church long enough, we have this sort of, like, weird insider church language that um, is kind of weird. And one of the things that we say actually I think is derived from this passage. And so we've heard it a ton. So we're going to break it down just by uh, a few verses here. But Je so Jesus is teaching and he's approached by his disciples and he's asked a very junior high question. Okay, so in Matthew 18, we're looking at the very beginning of Matthew 18. It says this, at the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's the greatest? It's a very junior high question to ask. Because, but here's what's really interesting, is that when what he's specifically referencing is who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. At that time, it was very, very apparent and super clear in this culture of who was the best. And it was just by um, this sort of like elitist, like the more power that you had, um, just like what status you were born into. And it was very structured and very rigid. And there wasn't really any movement in there. So what he's actually asking, what the disciple is actually asking is, I, I understand that what you talk about and the kingdom that you reference is different than the one where we live right now. So I'm asking, I understand in this kingdom who is the greatest. It's really easy. But I want to know who is the greatest in this kingdom that you speak of. Because that kingdom is way different. So help me to understand who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And when we talk about this idea of kingdom of heaven, it's like the place where God's will happens. So it's not like a far off place. And actually in Luke, it's described as something that's in us. So it's something that is like this elusive, it's there, it's real, we're learning about it, they're experiencing it. And now it's like, help me to break this down a little bit more. So this is how Jesus answers their question. 
He called a little child to him, placed the child among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is why Jesus is one of my favorite people. He is my favorite person. And then Stephen. Is that this is how he answers questions. It's like, uh, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he goes, oh, come here, child, come over here. And he's like, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's like, what? Because this is what we, we sort of um, identify this statement as talking about having what we call and what you may have heard referenced as a childlike faith, Right? It's this, it's this beautiful characteristic that kids have where they are able to understand things as they are told to them and accept them as true, right? And anyone who has worked with any kids or has kids or is around kids at all or even just standing in the lobby, there's so many kids everywhere, you're seeing like all this stuff and we can see when somebody explains something to a kid, it's like, oh, okay. And it's so, like, pure and, and beautiful, and it's actually just the way that their brains are, like, formulated to be. And so there's this, there is this characteristic of childlike faith that I think we can identify with and go, oh, yeah, there's a greatness to this. Um, if Jesus says something is true about himself, then we take that to be true, which, which in our minds, like, it totally makes sense. It's difficult to do. But we can understand this idea of having a childlike faith, right? And so sometimes what we do with this passage is we go, oh, okay, that's what it is. Okay, Jesus wants us to take everything that he says at face value and um, to sort of have this, like, sort of pure innocence about us and to um, be able to understand things as very black and white, and that's great. And then we, we sort of end it there. But there's something that's really surprising as we continue past this idea of simple faith or children just being sort of humble and sincere. And in verse 4, this is what it says. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, children at this time had another characteristic. And that was a very low status. To take the position of a lowly child. So what I didn't understand is like in that culture, and it's definitely, I think it's still prevalent today, but it was definitely more um, in this area at this time, is that kids were sort of an um, annoyance of they're better to be seen and not heard. They are this low, I mean, no rights. The only rights that they have are anything that's attributed to them by their parents. There's no identity. They're not celebrated for anything. It's like you're a kid, and then when you're an adult, you'll have value. So he's talking here about people who have low value from everyone else around them. And it was really commonly known. So, he's, so the disciples are like, hey, who's the greatest? And he's like, the least. This kid. And that's how he answers their question. So when we're talking about status and we're thinking of this idea of importance and value being placed on us as a characteristic, 
I think the people who are least concerned with that are kids. But kids have this other characteristic that I think it's really important for us not to miss. Dependence. They had to trust adults and receive what the adults provided. Jesus makes this comparison not because children are just supposed to be innocent, but because they are dependent on others and they willingly accept from them what they cannot provide for themselves. They recognize their dependence. So the unifying theme in this section is about honoring people who and, and who lack worldly status in this kingdom. And recognizing our own dependence on Jesus. So when he's, he's talking about being humble, and there's this difference here between being humble and becoming humble. I looked this up. It was really interesting. So being humble is kind of what we know to be true. We talk about it, and, and there's, you know, this idea of not... Um, trying to become better than other people. It's staying within one's inherited social status and not grasping to upgrade it at another person's expense. Not climbing over people, not clawing and working against people and the, the games that we play to get ahead and the way that we hurt other people to make sure that we look better or picking out those little things in other people that guarantee that we are okay and all those things. To be humble is to stay in that inherited social status. Now, to become humble is a different story, and this is what Jesus is talking about. To yield precedence to another and bear treatment inappropriate or undeserving of one's inherited social status. So it's not just sort of accepting where you are and who you are in, in this inherited social status. It's actually being willing to take it, to bear treatment that is inappropriate to that. So being treated as lower than you really are. And he, Jesus knows to, to use that language because everyone can identify with that happening to kids at that time. This is one of Jesus's many, many times that he takes what we know to be true in this kingdom and flips it upside down on its head. God's kingdom status is inverse to worldly status. So in a sense, this is kind of freeing. Like we can let go of this uh, like constant striving to get ahead and to be the best and to be seen a certain way. And I, I know I'm like, pre I feel this and I'm preaching to the choir. We all feel this pressure to be able to be seen at a certain status for certain reasons. And so we, in a way this is sort of freeing, we can sort of let that go. As we identify more with the kingdom of God, we can understand that we can let, let some things go. And we, the most important people, what we understand is the most important people are the ones that are currently viewed as the least important. It's the outcast and the marginalized, those people, the outsiders. And Jesus has to remind us over and over and over again, 
of what is actually true in his kingdom, that insiders are outsiders and outsiders are insiders. And that's so uncomfortable because we work so hard to be insiders. So when he says that, it's like he's ruining all of our hard work. We're outsiders again, and I don't like it. But this is what's cool. So Jesus has to remind the disciples too. So in Matthew 19, 13, he, this, this happens. This is why also I like reading about the disciples. Because anytime my inner, like, insecure middle schooler is active, it's like, anytime I hear about the disciples being boneheads, I'm like, yes, I'm okay. Like, I'm all right. The disciples were way worse. Because he had just finished telling them all this stuff about kids being the greatest in the kingdom, and then this happens. So... People brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. So people are bringing their children to Jesus. And most likely what was happening is that these children were either really sick, they were dying. But they were looking for their parents most likely or the people and caretakers are bringing them to Jesus to say, we need you to bless this child. Or heal this child or whatever it is. And the disciples are like, excuse me, do you not see that Jesus has better stuff to do? Like, you need to take these babies away from here. Because, like, this is, like, obviously he's doing some more important things. And dealing with more important people of higher status. And then Jesus says this. Let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Then he placed his hands on them, and then he went on from there. So he's like, no, no, don't you understand? I don't have anything better to do. These people are the greatest to me. So bring them here. And that's not, it's not just bring them here. Then he actually does something. Places his hands on them. And then goes on from there. So he doesn't have anything better to do. This is the great thing for him to do. And I think one of the things that we miss is that if he's talking about us being like children, he's talking about the fact that that's how he receives us too. That he doesn't have anything better to do when we need him. That we can approach him freely and people might say to you or you might even be saying to yourself, no, 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 no. There's better stuff for Jesus to be doing. There's better stuff. There's other things for, pe for me, for people, Jesus to be worrying about. There's famine and there's disaster and like, oh, he has better things to worry about. And he goes, no, come to me. Come to me like a child. Become like a child and come to me. So one of the things that we actually get to do as we start to think about this concept and how it actually applies to us, because I'm not up here just talking about junior hires and stuff. This is, this is us. This is us in here. Is that we actually need to embrace our inner child. Embrace that about us, that we have the need to approach Jesus 
when we need uh, blessing or when, when we just need him and we need his presence, is that we actually need to understand and embrace that fact about ourselves. Because sometimes we like to think we've got it all figured out. We are totally fine. Don't worry about me. I have myself taken care of. And what we actually need to do is accept the fact that we have a dependence on God. That's a tough thing to do. It's like really easy to say. But when it actually comes down to it and us saying, yeah, we have a to even have a dependence on anyone is kind of tough. So part of what we need to do is to understand that that inner child is still there. And for some of you and for, for me, that's painful. I don't like that. I like to be able to know that I kind of have things buttoned up a little bit. And I, I shared with you before, like, I like to be able to be identified as an adult. I feel like I get treated differently. I have different privileges. I have people see me differently. And so for me to say that I have that part of me, it's really hard. I think even further than that, what's important for us to do is to embrace our inner junior higher. The stuff that we thought we made it all the way through. And it's those things that still haunt us. And we ask the question, are those things still true about me? Am I still awkward? Am I still insecure? Am I still chubby? Am I still nerdy? But the thing is, that's really cool, is that junior hires have a beauty about them that nobody else has. So we've got this sort of idea of, our, of kids that we talked about, right? And what we see is that kids have this beautiful, simple brain where it's this childlike faith, and it's all these things that we celebrate about kids, which we should. It's great. But here is what I have found, is that there is this addition to that. Because I don't think that God is calling us to revert back to being children. Because he didn't create us that way. So I'm wondering if we're missing something, if we just stick to that, where it just says, become like little children. Mm, I think that there is some, there's a beauty here that we would be missing if that's all we said. Because what happens to us as we get older is this part up here. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We experience that fullness of life as adults. We have this complexity that starts happening as we get older. This understanding that we get that helps us to experience the fullness of God. So we have this child brain, right, that we're talking about identifying with. But really what we end up moving into is this thing where we can experience things that are different than we can experience when we're children. And so we, we get to have this sort of fullness. And he came so we could experience life to the full. So I don't think that Jesus is saying... Just be a kid. So there's this beauty here. But what is the best part, junior hires are so awesome, you guys, is that junior hires right now are in that transition from the kid brain to the adult brain. 
And if any of, you, any of you have junior hires, you know what I'm talking about. Like one second, they're coloring, and the next second, they're watching MTV. It is weird. <laughs> so, but there is this beauty that happens in between. They're, be, they're able to experience the simplicity of being able to take God at his word that we struggle with, and then also be able to experience the fullness that comes with that. And the fullness of emotions and the fullness of the complexities. Because kids can't understand complexities. They can't understand um, paradox. They can't understand contradictions. And so we start to sort of let some of those things creep in to cloud this, like, this childlike faith that we could even have. And even the fullness that we get to experience as adults. And so when we talk about the first part of that verse was that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There is a thief that does not want us to be able to experience the fullness of God. And it is a real thing. And I think what happens as we become adults is that we start to lose some of that ability to just sort of take things as they are and the fullness. And I think some of those things that creep in are materialism, individualism, and skepticism. Materialism, I want it, and I work hard to get it. All that I see is real, and unseen things are merely ideas and dreams. How silly. Individualism, I work hard for me. You work hard for you. I may make it, I may not. You may make it, you may not. And that's your problem, it's not mine. Or skepticism, anything I am not convinced about cannot be important. Everything important to know, I can figure out by myself. And our capacity to experience fullness actually works against us and limits us from experiencing it. The thief comes to kill and destroy. So, this childlike faith, I don't think that it's blind. I don't think it's blind faith. I think that there is this sort of sense of being able to accept things as the way that they are. Part of our complexity is both um, we can doubt, which is great, by the way. I think we're really scared of it. I think it's really great. And then we can doubt and have simple faith at the same time. It's this sort of really great, beautiful complexity that happens. And when I think about a junior higher, they're sort of in the middle of this fullness of complexity and the fullness of simplicity. So I made up a word, and it's called, well, a phrase, simple complexity. You don't have to like it. It's fake. But I made it up. So it's this idea here of, that's not it, simple complexity. So I, the way I was thinking about it to describe it, was like, if you, I, the first thing I thought of was Disneyland. Uh, and I know everyone's like, yeah, because half of you guys have passes. And this is still so weird to me. I'm from Michigan, so we don't have things like Disneyland. We have like, I don't, we don't, we, it's like a little amusement park that has like a Ferris wheel and that's it. So I'm like coming to Disneyland or I'm coming to Southern California I moved, when I just moved here. It was just seven years ago. And I'm still like 
mind blown that everybody, people have passes, and they can go to Disneyland whenever they want outside of blackout dates. <laughs> because the cheapest one, which let's be real, that's what we get, it, I guess, doesn't have the best dates. But so I was thinking about like Disneyland, and when you go in there, and when you're thinking of like simple complexity, it's like when you go in, and there's not a lot of people. So it's like a day that everyone thought it was going to rain or something. And you go in and you, you just have sort of like free rain. There's some people that are there. Everyone's sort of experiencing it together. There's options. There are like fun. There's fun. And you can go wherever you want. And there's a complexity, but it's sort of simple. Like you can sort of pick and choose whenever you need to go and wherever you want to go because there's not a bunch of people there. So there's this, that simple complexity. And when the complex, because there's still options, but when the complex becomes really complex, is like Disneyland before Christmas. When everybody wants to go, and even if you don't have a pass, you try and figure out how to get in and fake like you're somebody who has a pass. But like pre, when they got really strict about that stuff. <laughs> so, but there's like, all of a sudden, what happens is, and you don't have to have been to Disneyland to, to understand what I'm talking about, but it's like, there, there's like people everywhere. You don't even know where to go anymore because there's so many options, but like everything's really limited because there's all these distractions that got entered into it. There's like people that are cutting you off with their strollers, and then there's like lines everywhere, and so this idea, like it sort of gets like jammed up. Everything that was beautiful and flowing about it before becomes, like, really inhibited by distraction. And so this idea of simple complexity, I get to see all the time in junior hires. It is so beautiful. Because I get to see them go from this simple thing and then immediately move into something that is, like, deeper and richer and just more profound. Then they, then they even know. And so I'm reminded of stories like going to camp and um, there was a boy who was part of our group and he had heard the gospel at camp, the story of Jesus and why he matters, in a different way. And so he's there and he is, I'm watching him walk out of chapel and I'm watching his face and I'm watching his body language and I'm seeing that he's struggling with something. And so um, I'm walking around, I give him some time to process, and I just ask him, like, hey, what's going on? He's like, I just, it's really bothering me. I was like, what? He's like, I just, everything that I heard in there, I know to be true. I was like, okay. He says, it bothers me because I hear it that it's true about my whole life, but I'm not the same person all the time. I'm like, me either, buddy. But this idea of something so simple translating into something so complex. And then I think about stories that I hear, I hear from my leaders, the best leadership team on the planet, that like last night, there was a seventh grade boys life group who went and they served at a homeless shelter. Their leaders took them out there. It was a great opportunity. They all went there. The boys are interacting with people who they would never interact with on a regular basis. Talk about status, right? People who are viewed as unclean, outsiders, marginalized, cast out. 
and they're experiencing relationship with them. They're playing games, they're talking to them, and all of a sudden, something simple switches. And they're, and they're wrestling with that. And they're going, oh, these people are like different than me, but they're the same as me. And it starts to get really complex and beautiful and complicated. And then they were leaving, and two of the boys were walking out, totally struggling. And the leader's like, what's going on? And they go, we need to go back in there and pray with that guy we were just talking to. Okay. So they went back in. They sat down with this young man that they had been playing games with all night and prayed with them. Simple complexity. And it is such a beautiful thing. And as we understand this idea, we start to think there's something that's in the way of us being able to embrace that. Maybe for you, you need to stop trying to achieve the love of God. You keep thinking that it's something that you're eventually going to stumble upon if you just do the right things, if you just check the right boxes. And what we get to see from the illustration with those kids, they didn't have anything to do with anything. They just were. And they were welcome to Jesus' lap. And some of us need to just embrace that. And do nothing but receive. And, and let go of the, I'm so glad I'm past that. And actually embrace some of those things about us. Because Jesus doesn't care. We need to let go of our unworthiness. Whether somebody told you that you're not worthy to approach Jesus. Or it's something that you've believed for a really long time because of something that you did. Or something that happened to you. Your thing that you need to do is let go of that unworthiness. And freely be able to approach Jesus as a child. So what do you have to brush off? What's the thing that you need to move past to be able to fully accept access that you have to Jesus, not by any effort of your own, but actually has everything to do with what he did. It's not about what we do. It's about him just saying, you can come to me anytime you want. I don't have anything better to do. You can approach me like a child. We can throw off our cynicism, our skepticism, our need to prove ourselves worthy. We can just approach him with confidence that he will welcome us. Why don't we pray? Jesus, we know that a lot of the things that we believe are not true. We know that a lot of things that you say don't make sense. But God, that we um, hear the truth and we embrace that, and it sounds so appealing to us because we, go, we know, God, that our hearts, they are oriented towards you and towards your kingdom. And God, we are in a place right now where we are faced with the reality of embracing our dependence on someone 
or something. But God, we know that because that someone or something is you, that we can have confidence in how we will be received. God, we love you so much. And we are so grateful that we have an opportunity to come to you, that we have an opportunity to approach you with no veils, with no status, with no achievements, but just as who we are. God, that we can run to you, that you see us, that you don't see the things that we are afraid that we still are, but you see us as who you created us to be and that we're welcome at your feet. Jesus, we love you. We're ready to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. How awesome this hearing.